Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our continuing study in the epistles. This week, we begin a brand new epistle as we have left Hebrews, and now we are going to explore the book of James. And James is an uh, exciting little book, and uh, been a book that uh, there's been some controversy around it over the years within the text and within the book that itself. And we're going to dig into some of those things this week and just kind of give an overview of the book of James. And then beginning next week, we'll dig into the text. Well, let's talk about this letter of James, this book of James. The book of James really begins a brand new section in the epistles. As we have seen, the epistles are kind of divided between Pauline epistles, which consist of Paul's um, prison epistles that he wrote from prison, and also consisted of Paul's pastoral epistles. So there are some prison epistles and pastoral epistles, and then plus there are you know, other epistles such as First and Second Corinthians and Romans that the Apostle Paul wrote. But we looked at the Apostle Paul's letters, we looked at the prison epistles, we looked at the pastoral epistles, and now we begin a brand new section toward the end of our Bible, after we get out of Hebrews, what is known as the general epistles. And these consist of James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, and the book of Jude. And these are called general epistles because unlike the previous epistles that we have looked at, they are not directed toward a certain church or a certain individual dealing with uh, the circumstances surrounding that one church and that one individual. These letters are more general in nature because they are addressed to a wider audience and they deal with wider issues that could be taking place in many different churches. So as we come to the book of James, the book of James uh, doesn't really read like your traditional letter. Uh, it doesn't have, it has a greeting, but it doesn't have a full greeting like the Apostle Paul would give. Uh, and it's void of several of the characteristics of the flow of a good letter. So we look at the book of James really more as a treatise composed of short moral essays. And it doesn't read in a great flow because it kind of talks on a subject here and then maybe it will revisit in the next couple of chapters and then it will go back to some uh, another previous issue that it's mentioned but yet come back to it uh, in another chapter. So it's kind of chopped up a little bit that makes it look like it was more kind of put together. So maybe these were several writings of James that were put together, or even possibly some of James's sermons that were put together. So that's, if, if it doesn't read as smooth as other letters, then you understand why. Uh, James also emphasizes the endurance in hardship that the Christians here, just like the Christians in the other letters, were suffering persecution and difficult times and trials. The book of James emphasizes responsible Christian living with a special concern that believers practice what they preach and that they live in harmony, especially caring for the poor in their community. James was written by James, the Lord's brother. Uh, and I always am fascinated by James, the Lord's brother. Because James, the Lord's brother, was when Jesus' earthly ministry was going on, he, he was not a follower of Jesus. 
He was not a disciple of Jesus. He was even skeptical and denying that his brother was who he said that he was. But something radically changed in James's life. From being skeptical and not a follower of his brother Jesus, to following Jesus, and not just following Jesus, but becoming the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the most prominent, the first prominent church that we see in the New Testament. And to me, that is a testament to the resurrection of Jesus. I have two brothers. Many of you watching, you may have a brother. And I'll tell you, I don't know what my brothers could do to convince me that they were the Son of God. Um, now, one thing they may could do to convince me that my brothers, one of my brothers, was the Son of God was probably predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off. So before the resurrection, James was not a follower of Jesus, skeptical of his brother. After the resurrection, he was a believer, a follower, and ended up a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. So to me, something happened pre-cross and post-cross in James's life. And I believe that thing was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So James has been generally accepted here that the writer is James, the Lord's brother, uh, who led the church in Jerusalem for many years. As far as when James was written, we're not quite sure. We do believe that uh, there's debate of an early date of the writing of James and a later date of the writing of James. James could have been possibly written as early as 47 to 48 A.D., or in the early 60s, 60 to 62 AD. Some writers or some scholars even have it out as late as the AD 90s. Um, I, I, believe the, I believe that that 47 to 48 to 50 range is pretty good because we, there's indications in the text that let's know that this church has matured a little bit. They're not a young church. They're not a new church that they're a seasoned church because they have some issues within the community that are issues that happen in more seasoned churches. So we're probably talking about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection or after it was established. So probably in that 15 to 20 year range, which would put it um, in the 48, 47, 48 to 50 range is when it was probably written. The recipients is very interesting about the recipients who the letter was written to. It's addressed, if you notice, in James chapter 1, verse 1. It's addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So with James being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, with James addressing his letter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, this letter, this epistle, really takes on a very Jewish meaning. The 12 tribes scattered abroad would have come from when persecution came to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. After the stoning of Stephen, there was a great persecution among Christians in Jerusalem. And what happens is they began to leave Jerusalem and began to be spread in the neighboring cities and the neighboring nations around them. And this became known as what is called the Jewish diaspora. And the diaspora was the dispersing and the spreading of Jews beyond their original homeland into other cities and countries. So James, as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is still writing and caring for 
still getting his message to the Jews who were even dispersed outside of Jerusalem. That would be pictured in kind of an exile uh, situation there. It is written to a wide audience and is notably impersonal. So if you notice the letters of Paul, they were very personable. Paul would name a bunch of people. He would say, you know, send my greetings to, or I send you greetings from Timothy, our fellow laborer. You know, where he would put these personal greetings in his letter. Well, there are no personal greetings here in the book of James, which lends uh, its credibility toward being more of a general audience. Even though there's a specific audience, the 12 tribes, it's not written to one specific church or one specific person, but to a more wide range of an audience. So there are no personal references in the entire book of James. Now, as we look for its occasion, now when we saw with the Apostle Paul that his letters, there was something that prompted the writing of the letter. There was an event, there was a false teaching, there was something that he had heard about from the church that prompted his writing for the occasion that he wrote it. Uh, we don't know the exact occasion uh, of James's epistle that was sent out to these 12 tribes, but we do know that it shows concern for the conditions that were going on within the early church. These conditions included severe trials that was happening with the church. So one of the occasions that this was probably written is because the Jews had been dispersed, leaving persecution, but yet what they would find in other places is they would also face persecution there as well. Also, he addresses dissensions caused by angry and judgmental words because of how uh, the Christians in the churches were speaking to one another and the words that they were using. Uh, that is a concern for James in this epistle and through his messages. Uh, the attitudes of the rich toward the poor, how the rich viewed the poor, how they would oppress the poor, was definitely a concern of James. And then the abuse of the poor by the wealthy, how the, poor would, how the wealthy would oppress the poor, how the church would show favoritism to the wealthy over the poor. So these are issues that really prompted James's uh, to send this epistle or to get this epistle spread out into the believing community of the scattered tribes. The emphasis in this letter the emphasis is really practical faith, practical faith on the part of the believers. James is light in the doctrine category, heavy on the practical outworking of faith. Another emphasis that it puts is the emphasis of joy and patience in the middle of trials that you're in the middle of a trial, but you need to have a certain attitude in this trial. And that can be joy and endurance, patience. The nature of true Christian wisdom is an emphasis for James in this letter. The attitudes of the rich toward the poor is an emphasis in the letter of James. The necessity of good works is an emphasis in the letter uh, the epistle of James, and then the abuse and the proper use of the tongue is an emphasis in the epistle of James. So ultimately, what we find here 
is we find the book of James is very practical and very moral. It is not doctrinal and theological. Even though our morals and our practice comes out of our theology and doctrine, James's purpose is not to teach doctrine or to set doctrine and teach theology. The Apostle Paul was obviously a very skilled orator and writer, and the way he approached, especially in books like Romans and Galatians, he lays out his theological arguments, Paul does, like a master attorney laying out his case, arguing his point in a masterful way. So Paul really approaches more of a theologian. James, his attitude is not so much of a theologian, but of a pastor that is dealing with people day in and day out. For Paul would come to a church. Many of his churches were brand new. He would would win people to the Lord, establish a church, teach them doctrine, lay foundation, and then he would move on. Yes, he would oftentimes have to write back because he would hear of problems within the church. But James is one, he had to stay there year after year after year after year in the church in Jerusalem. And he is really communicating to the people, many of them who he probably cared for that are now scattered, and he's coming at them still as a pastor, concerned about how they live out their faith every day. So the book of James is very practical and moral, not doctrine or theological. It is also against social injustice because this issue of the rich and the poor is much at the heart of the letter of James. It's not that James dislikes the rich, but he wants them to know that you are not to oppress the poor. And he wants the church to know you are not to favor the rich over the poor whom God loves and cares for. The author stretches a theological term, orthopraxy, which means sound deeds, and does not against orthodoxy, which is sound doctrine. He's not pitting them against one another, but his emphasis is on the sound deeds of the believers. James's moral emphasis is very similar to that of Jesus. You know, James does not spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. He's not really explaining Jesus. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he even looked at this epistle of James and he rejected. Martin Luther, the great church reformer, rejected the epistle of James as not belonging in our New Testament. And he did that. He called it a straw epistle compared to the epistles of Paul. He said there is nothing of the gospel in this letter because of its morally and ethically heavy side, which he thought it lacked the issues of grace and the issues of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation because it emphasizes so much of the morality and the practicality of the outworking of faith. 
Well, we have to understand that, again, there's different perspectives of that people have. Paul has one perspective when he's teaching the doctrine of justification by faith alone. James has a perspective when he is teaching that we are to do good works. And that is how our justification has come about. You have to put yourself with the perspective and the intent of writing. James, Paul is speaking to those who were brand new Christians or those who maybe were not even Christians, teaching them doctrine. He was coming against opponents who were perverting the gospel, and Paul was defending the gospel. James is dealing with Christians who were already believers, already knew the gospel. But the problem was they knew the gospel, but they had gotten to the place where they weren't really living the gospel. And that's why James leans heavily on the practical and the moral. Because what James's people in the churches that he's speaking to, what they don't need is more doctrine or theology. What they do need is more outworking of the doctrine and the theology that they already had. So, G, so James's emphasis is really very similar to Jesus' moral and ethical teachings. In fact, you can, take, you can take the whole epistle of James, and you can put it right in line with Jesus' teachings. And it is amazing how much lines up between James and Jesus. It's also amazing how much lines up, considering James wasn't an earthly fo- a follower of Jesus while he was on the earth. But yet, he ultimately knew what Jesus taught. So James says less about the master, Jesus, but is more like the master in the way that he teaches, in the expressions that he uses, in the figures of speech that he uses. In that way, James' teaching is more like Jesus' teaching than any other writer in the New Testament. Another thing that we find is because James being a Jewish person, because James being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and James writing to the 12 tribes scattered, James, the book of James is more highly Jewish in nature than any other New Testament book. The style is very Jewish. The illustrations, the emphasis, the figures of speech, the appeal of it, the metaphors, the similes, all this has a Jewish flavor in the letter. So that gives us a a starting place of how we are to view this epistle of James. Now, what I would like to do is go to our next section, and that is the overview of James. So as you're reading through James, and I always encourage you to take, after we do this introduction today, take this letter of James and begin to read it at least several times this week, taking what we've learned in our opening section plus the outline that we will look here in our next section. As we first mentioned, James kind of reads kind of choppy. You know, it's, it's traditionally been read more or less as a random collection of essays or ethical instructions for believers, but there is order to it. There's order to it because of the themes. Now, James comes back to earlier themes several times, but there is more order to it than meets the eye. So let's look at the outline of the book of 
James, the epistle of James. First of all, in the first verse in James 1.1, we have the introduction. And the introduction of James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Scattered among the nations. And then he adds greetings. And that's the greeting in the introduction. It's not very long, like the Apostle Paul's introductions, but it is the introduction nonetheless. Then as we move into verses 2 through 18 of chapter 1, we have the consolation to believers in exile, these, these 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. What does he talk about in this consolation? In the consolation, he talks about that trials may serve to test for the good, or they could tempt toward the evil. He talks about wisdom as God's good gift for enduring and profiting from trials. And in God's eyes, the low and high position of the rich and poor are reversed. So if you're going through trials, it doesn't mean God's displeasure in your life. As we enter the last part of chapter 1 and we go through chapter 2, verse 27, here we see the exhortations to put faith into practice. And this is really in many ways the heart of the letter. And chapter 1 into chapter 2 is going to show us what James will come back to. So putting faith into practice is in several ways according to the epistle of James. First of all, it's denouncing community dissension and encouraging the believers to be doers of the word and not only hearers of the word. And these things that we're going to list here, this is kind of the process that you would think about as a church gets older. Now, we would like to think that as a church gets older, it would get more holy. It would get more caring. It would get more serious about the work of Christ. But that's not always the case. In fact, most of the time, it's the exact opposite. Most of the times, we have this wonderful experience of receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we're what we would term in the evangelical church, on fire for God. And we're, we're reading the Word, and we're serving other people, and we're serving in the church, and we're evangelizing, and we're doing outreaches and helping out. You know, we have this zeal for the Lord. But usually what happens is that zeal begins to wane, and our hearts begin to harden a little bit in some areas. And we become more with, with knowing the Bible and knowing Scriptures and being a hearer of the Word, but we're not as quick to be doers of the Word. And in James, doing the Word applies specifically to how we use our tongue and our speech and to how we care for the poor. When, when we were on fire for God, you know, we might have encouraged people and lift up people and pray for people, but oftentimes that praying for people leads to gossiping. It leads to using our words to hurt other people. Instead of being more generous, sometimes we harden our hearts. Instead of being generous to the poor, we sometimes have a hardened heart toward the poor. That's just what happens. And it's nothing new because obviously it happened in James's day. So the first exhortation to put into practice is to be doers of the word. 
The next way to put faith into practice is by not showing favoritism. Warnings against favoritism and wrong attitudes toward the rich and the poor. Where the church hardened their hearts to the poor, they welcomed in the rich. The rich could provide for the needs of their church. They could do things for them. They had power and prestige and money. So when someone who was rich came into the assembly, they were treated the best. They were sat in the best seats. They were regarded and respected. But the poor were ignored and looked down upon and were put in the back far away. So James warns the believers here not to show favoritism toward the rich. The third way that they can put their faith into practice is to have their faith accompanied by works. The exhortation to faith and deeds. And we're going to look at this more in depth next week because there has been people that have tried to pit the teachings of Paul versus the teachings of James. Because Paul talks about we are justified by faith alone apart from works. He specifically says that's how we're justified. We are justified by faith alone apart from works. And he uses Abraham as the example. Now James, and it's hard to tell if Paul's teaching came out first or or this was written before Paul or as an answer to Paul or Paul was an answer to James, but people try to pit them two against each other. So James, he teaches that we are justified not by faith alone, that we're justified by our works not just only by our faith. And guess what? James uses Abraham as an example. So Paul uses that we're justified by faith alone without works and uses Abraham as an example. James teaches that we're justified by our works, not by faith alone, and he uses Abraham as an example. So there we see what many people have called an obvious contradiction, that James and Paul contradicted one another. And without giving away the answer, what we're going to see in this situation is that's not the case at all. That what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Paul was using certain terms from a certain perspective to a certain group of people trying to reach a certain result And James was using certain words to certain people from a certain perspective, trying to get certain results. And while they're using the same terms, they are not talking about the same thing. Because words can have more than one meaning, depending on how we're using them. I could say, man, this sanctuary is cool. Now, I could mean Hey, this sanctuary is cool because we have a big television up here. We got, well, we got a, nice back, a nice new backdrop or a new podium or new lights. And this is a cool sanctuary. Or I could say, this is a cool sanctuary because the air conditioning is on and it's kind of cool in here. So if you come up to me and you say, Pastor, this is a cool sanctuary. I may say, thank you, it is a cool sanctuary. We got a big television up here and it looks really good. 
And you would say, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's cool because I'm, I'm cold. That's the same way it's working with Paul and James. They're using the same words, but the way they're using them and the meaning of them, the definitions they're giving are two different definitions which do not contradict each other at all. They complement each other. But James is exhorting his believers to put their faith into practice. The next thing we see as we go into chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see exhortations on matters of dissension within the believing community. Dissension within the believing community. And this has to do with several different things. Number one, it has to do with the tongue, how they use their speech. It has to do with the issue of true wisdom, which leads to peace. And then in chapter 4, he approaches their quarrels head on. He approaches their quarrels head on. I'm sorry, this is James 3 into 4, 12. He approaches their quarrels head on. So he talks about that there are fights and quarrels among you. And you fight and you quarrel. So there's issues that they're quarreling among themselves. And he's exhorting them on matters of dissension within the believing community. Then in James 4, 13 through 17 and 5, 1 through 6, we have another twofold word to the rich. And here's the word to the rich. Number one, the warnings against arrogance. The warnings against arrogance. About You think you're just going to carry on and make money and carry on business. And he warns against those attitudes. And then his warnings against wealth. He talks about the misery that is coming upon them, about how their wealth has rotted. Now, James isn't against the wealthy people because they're wealthy, but about the dangers that come with wealth and how it can easily turn them away from God, how it could easily turn them away from other people who are not wealthy, and they actually end up oppressing other people. That's what James is concerned about. As we continue on in chapter 5, we see verses 7 through 11. This is an exhortation on endurance, a call to to patience on the part of suffering of the poor. And then James 5 through 13, we have the life in the community, how he gives a warning against oaths, uh, how there's a call to prayer, especially prayer for the sick, and a correction to the wayward and some concluding thoughts there. So here we see the basic outline of the epistle of James, and we see how the major themes are worked out, the theme of wisdom, the theme of trials, the theme of favoritism, the theme of the tongue, and the theme of works. It's all a part in there. So look for those major themes as you read this letter through the week. So we're going to kind of wrap up today with some specific advice. I want to give you four things today for specific advice for reading James. And this is just going to kind of reiterate some of the things that we have already said. Uh, As we have already said, James can be difficult to read because of its many starts and stops. Because it talks about one thing and then it stops and switches. And then it stops and switches, but then it goes back to another. So it has many twists and turns. But yet we can see the things that hold it all together, which we have noted above. And here are several other matters that we want to reiterate. First of all, in terms of the content of the book of James, it's directly or directed specifically at Christian behavior 
rather than Christian doctrine. As we've mentioned before, we want to put that uh, in front of you continually. It's directed specifically at Christian behavior rather than Christian doctrine. So there are a good number of sayings that look like Old Testament wisdom on one hand and the teachings of Jesus on the other hand. That is much as the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, often present the teachings of Jesus in the form of sayings, which at times ring with echoes of Jewish wisdom, so it does with James. James's teaching style is similar to the teaching style of Jesus. And they both kind of reflect the Old Testament ways of expressing wisdom in almost a proverb-type nature. As with all Jewish wisdom, the concern is not doctrinal or logical, but practical. And the test of its truthfulness has to do with how it works out in the reality of everyday life. Basically, doctrine should work in everyday life. Theology must work in everyday life. We must put what we believe into practice. So we want to see how these are Address. And another thing to look out for, and this is just very interesting, as you're reading through James, he likes imagery. He likes to paint pictures in your mind. Um, one of the things that he does, especially with the tongue, you know, he has a picture of the tongue being set on fire. He has a picture of the tongue as putting bits into the mouths of horses. He uses the example of a ship that is turned by a small Rudder. He talks about the ton being a fire. He talks about all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles. Uh, so we see that James uses a lot of imagery in his writing. So you may just, as you're reading through this, may want to mark some of the imagery to get that picture in your mind so you can see how James is working all of this out. Secondly, in terms of form, there is a type of a, a sermonic quality, like giving a sermon. Again, this is not written as a traditional letter but like sections of exhortations, as if, these was, as if this was kind of like a sermon uh, that was given in the day. He hopes to persuade with his sermons and to facilitate change in the way God's people live in community with one another. Which leads us to our third point, to not fall into the habit of reading James as though it were addressed to individual believers about their one-on-one relationship with God and with others. And we do this, and this is kind of a Western point of view of Scripture, that it's given to us individually as the gospel is preached to us, that we have an individual responsibility to accept the gospel and to follow the commands of Scripture. But as with some of the letters of the Apostle Paul, these letters are not just directed to us as individuals, and it's about our faith between God only. It's directed to us as a church. So therefore, it doesn't really come across every time in the English language, but when Paul would say uh, something, he would say you. It's really speaking to, is that you is plural, to you all, to you all as the whole. So that's what the letter of James is concerned with, not just individuals. Now, even though every individual has an individual responsibility, our individual responsibility is for the good of the whole of the church. So that's what James, James is trying to get. He's talking to a whole body of believers that's going through persecution. 
He's talking to a whole body of believers to use their words for the good of the community, to a whole body of believers for them to share with the poor and care for the poor as a community, not just one or two. So from the outset, James's passion is with life within the believing community. While we all have our own individual responsibility, we also have a responsibility to individually make the believing community a healthy community. Not so much concerned with personal piety as much as the healthy community as a whole. If we read it only individually, then it'll take away um, some of the point that it's making from beginning to end. And finally, we need to read the sections about the rich and the poor with care. Uh, We're not sure whether both groups, rich and poor, were members of the same believing communities. But in any case, James is decidedly on the side of the poor. James is on the side of the poor. As all Scripture is on, Old and New Testament is on the side of the poor. You know, in the um, minor prophets and in the prophets of the Old Testament, one of the major things, and many Christians don't know this, One of the major problems that God had with Israel was that the rich oppressed the poor. And God judged them because they had systems where the rich oppressed the poor and the poor were not cared for. And so the whole Scripture is on the side of the poor, and the rich are consistently censured and judged, not because of their their wealth, but because their wealth has created them to live without taking God into account, their wealth becomes their God. And thus, when wealth becomes their God, they abuse the lowly ones for who God cares for tremendously. So those are the major themes that we see in the book of James. So look for, as you're reading, look for the passages about enduring hardships and trials. Look for the passages about being doers of the Word, about putting your faith into action, about doing good works. Look for the passages that talk about uh, the tongue. Look for the passages that talk about the rich and the poor. Look for these major emphasis that we see, the the necessity of good works. Look for all of those uh, themes as you're reading through the book of James. And I believe when, when we think about these things as we're reading, I believe we're going to see this book come alive in different ways. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.